You know, this whole thing, I, I, I just want to say before we, we jump in again, this whole, this whole word series is about you and I coming to a change of heart, not just about digging in, studying, but we're doing that, but it's about a change of heart. It's coming to that place where when we come to the word of God, our attitude instantly reframes, and I just want us to grab onto that. I want to grab onto that today. You know, I, I don't want to be that person that's kind of looking for my Bible. I think it's behind my seat in the car. Uh, no, it might be down uh, wherever. Um, I, I want us, when we come to it, to just to be able to have a change of heart and say, this is the living Word of God. It is the most amazing thing that we hold this in our hands. It is such an incredible privilege that we hold this in our hands. And it says about itself, the Word, that when everything's done, when everything else is done, when all the Georgia Bulldogs are finished partying and celebrating and counting up all their touchdowns and all that's done, you know, I'm just giving you your chance. That was your chance. You can take it or leave it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but when all that's done, when everything I love is done, when everything we hold dear on earth is done, when our houses are done and our buildings are done and our our bank accounts are done, and everything that's been said by humans is all done. This word says about itself that this word will still be standing forever. This word will be standing forever. And so when we come to it today, when we come to it today, it's not as if we're going to look over it, but we're going to kneel under it. We're not coming to stand over it and say, well, let me see what I think. Oh, I like that. I'll take that. We're coming to kneel under it and say, tell me what you think, God, and I will follow you. And so with that heart, uh, we tread into John chapter 8 this morning. A lot of people are just going to watch this or hear this later, and you're not going to know that we just read the entire chapter of John 8, and it was fantastic and exciting. And uh, yeah, you can clap for that too. I like that. I love just hearing the Word of God, just having it wash over us. And as we come into it today... I'm telling you, this was a difficult one. Some of the chapters, you just sort of read them, that word just rises to the top, sort of a, 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 some things that you can maybe shape around that word, fall into place. But as I read through, prayed through, and knelt down under John chapter 8, it was like, okay, which sermon series are we supposed to preach? There's about 18 sermon series in this chapter, all containing about 10 messages, and it's just so rich. You, we could spend forever digging into it. So this morning, I'm going to have to just say, one, we read the whole chapter. Two, I'm going to try to zero in on an idea this morning. I think it is a big idea in this chapter. There's several big ideas in this chapter, but I want to really draw our focus to a couple of verses uh, beginning in verse 31 sort of at the hinge point midway through this chapter. And this is what John is writing. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Now, just so that you're catching on and we're all sort of learning a little bit together about how Scripture works, John's heart was to really lean toward the Jewish listener. And you see that in every chapter. And we could dig a lot further down in that. You could peel back some of the layers of the things that he puts in his gospel. You remember, John saw almost all of Jesus' life. But he didn't write all of Jesus' life. You have to remember that. I'm not sure if you've really ever thought about that. But all of Jesus' life hasn't been recorded. Because all of Jesus' life started never. 
He's always been Jesus, and forever he's been doing amazing things. And then before creation, he was doing things. In creation, he was doing things. In history, he's been at work. When he came and set foot on earth, he was at work. He's still at work today. And the scripture says if, if all the books about Jesus were written, the whole world couldn't contain them all. So we have four gospels, eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, but even the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus are not telling us the whole story of Jesus. And so John is piecing together his gospel led by the Holy Spirit, and he's putting together certain accounts of the life of Jesus to, to sort of encourage the Jewish believer, that person who's come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and come all the way down the line hoping for a Messiah, now sort of believing that Jesus is that hoped-for Messiah to help that Jewish thinker really see that Jesus is the promise of God. So there you see that line, and you see that throughout the Gospel of John, that viewpoint to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. This morning, really, if you could sum it all up, in the way that we want to sort of open up John chapter 8, it's this, that today we're coming to a place of personal responsibility, and I love that. Today, in this gospel, Jesus pulls all the covers off, you know, he's sort of been slowly unfolding his ministry up to this point. In fact, we, we've walked uh, seven chapters now. Do you remember the seven words of the seven chapters of John so far? We're trying to, now people are looking for their notes. They're like, I didn't know you were going to ask again. You should come prepared uh, next week. We'll all nail this. But we've tried to summarize each of the chapters in one word. Not that that was necessarily the God-breathed word for that chapter, but we're just trying to help ourselves get an outline of the book of John. And when we finish the whole gospel of John sometime, maybe next year, We'll be able to go through chapter by chapter. And the first chapter, we summarize with the word, word. Now, if you don't know that one, you're, you're missing out. Because, see, the series is titled Word. And, and we're asking for the word for each chapter. And so then we say for the first chapter, the word was. And so then you just right there. It was word. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word became flesh. Uh, the second chapter, anybody? Miracle. Third chapter. Okay, we're fading. We're fading fast here. Uh, life. The fourth chapter was worship. Fifth chapter, believe. Sixth chapter, we summarized by saying the word enough. And then last week, chapter seven, missional. Word that's not in the dictionary. Isn't that cool? So I like that. We got a word that's not quite in Webster yet, but we're embracing it as living a life on purpose. And today, chapter eight, we're coming around this idea of truth. That's going to be our word today. You're like, oh, man, I had another word. I know. I had about nine words this week. And they all sort of kept sifting around. And then we just sort of landed on truth. Jesus is saying, if you abide and hold to my teaching. Uh, some translations say hold. Some say abide. If you, if you settle down, camp out, if you make your household, if you dwell in my word or in my teaching, then you are disciples of mine. You're really truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set who? You free. We're coming to a place of personal 
responsibility, where Jesus isn't hiding anymore. He ends this chapter by saying, before Abraham was, I am, all caps. When he said that, they did what? They picked up stones, and they were going to kill Jesus on the spot, because this is blasphemy of all blasphemy, because even to call yourself I am, you're dialing back in the, in the thinking of the Jewish mindset to Moses and God at the burning bush when when God said to Moses, I am that I am. My name is I am. My name is to be. My name is the present tense form of the verb to be. I be is really what God was saying. Or my name is be. I've always be. I be today. I'll always be in the future. I be. I exist outside of time and space in every limitation you know as a human being. I Am. And when Jesus said, hey, you're, you're hung up on Abraham, guys, and like, duh, he's our father, the father of our faith. Everything we've ever heard all our lives hinges on the faith and promise of Abraham. And Jesus said, well, before there was Abraham, I am. And they went, uh-oh, you can't say that. You can't be claiming to be the I am. And Jesus says, I am the I am. I'm not claiming to be the I am. I am, I am. I was the one speaking to Moses at the burning bush. I was there that day. I am. I was before Abraham. I was before creation. I was before the stars and the earth. I am. And it's on at this point. And what he's wanting us to come to terms with today is we have to personally get around this idea that Jesus is purporting to be God, the I am that I am. And he's bringing that in this chapter front and center time and time and time again to people so that there has to be a place of personal responsibility, a place where you, not your parents, not your youth pastor, not your grandfather, uh, not your brother, not your sister, not your son or daughter even, but where you come to terms with Jesus. And then the most amazing opportunity I think that we're going to see in this chapter today is not only is there personal responsibility, but there's personal receptivity. There's, there's this possibility that you and I can walk in lockstep with God and actually hear the voice and hear the truth of Jesus every day, in every circumstance, in any situation, in any dilemma that we find ourselves in, under any attack, any confusion. Check it out, that we can hear the voice of Jesus and hear the truth of Jesus and apply, follow, and lean into the truth of Jesus and find freedom in every circumstance, in every situation of life. And that is an unbelievably powerful thing. He said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, before we jump in, I want to back up, and I want to tackle a, a challenge in this chapter. Does anybody notice the challenge in this chapter? Anybody, when you were reading, studying John chapter 8, there was a little something that kind of caught you off guard maybe, and you were like, whoa, I'm not sure what that means. Anybody? Any show of hands? <clears throat> Good. All right. Awesome. Well, maybe we shouldn't tackle the challenge. Let's just pretend like there isn't one. The challenge of John chapter 8 is right before verse 53 of chapter 7. Does anybody see this? Look in your scripture. It says in brackets after a long, solid line after John 7, 52 
The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. Period. Anybody see that? Anybody seen that in your scripture? Does anybody have your Bible with you? Okay, if anybody out there, is anybody with us? Is anybody at Passion City today? Does that, is that not in a lot of your Bibles, or is that in everybody's Bible that you've got some kind of scripture? Thank you very much. Did you read that part, or did you say, oh, it's in brackets. I don't know what that is. I'll skip over that and just go to the next chapter. If you didn't just skip over it and you read it, you probably went, what does that mean? What, what does that mean that in some of the early manuscripts and the ancient witnesses, they don't have this account? Now, I'm not too worried about verse 53 of chapter 7 because it says, then each one went to his own home. I can do without that. I'm fine. If that's not in the ancient manuscripts, I'm okay. I, they they could have gone to a friend's home. I don't know where they went. But if you take this first story out of John 8, which is one of the hinge stories of our faith tradition, that there was a woman caught in sin, all these religious, you know, high horse kind of people brought her to Jesus, threw her down at his feet. They really didn't care about the woman. They really didn't care about what happened to the woman. They were trying to tra- trap Jesus. And they said, hey, she was caught in the very act of sin, and the law says that she should be put to death. So what do you say? And then Jesus, you know, bends down and writes in the dirt and looks back at them and then writes some more and looks at them and their faces, all the blood's draining out of their faces. They're going white as ghosts, these cats. And all of a sudden, the crowd just sort of is getting a little bit like, what's going to happen? And Jesus comes out with it. Hey, here's how this is going to go down today. Whoever of you is without sin, you get at the front of the line and you get to cast the first stone. I mean, come on. We've sort of made a whole, like, uh, philosophy of thought out of that phrase. Some people don't even know where to read originated from, the people say, well, uh, okay, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go. I can't go first. And so all the people drift away. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. And he goes, and I, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now that is a hinge text in our story. And this little parenthesis is telling us that the early manuscripts don't include that story. And I just want to stop there today because I want to be that kind of pastor, to be honest with you. Because there's two, two roads here. The, the number one road is to go off on some textual criticism uh, path where we all drag out the whole process of how the Gospels came together, how Scripture was actually put together, how what's called the canon of the Word of God became a, the Word of God. You know, this didn't fall out of heaven with a leather-bound duotone binding on it and a little ribbon marker. This didn't fall down. This isn't in the Ark of the Covenant. This wasn't on the Ark with Noah. This book actually was a product of centuries of writing by multiple different people, all being led by the Holy Spirit, that eventually in history, by our church fathers, became accepted as these are the words, these are the books, this is the Word of God. Well, there was a 67th book, yeah, it didn't make it in. There was a, these other lost books, they didn't make it in. Well, there were the writings of so-and-so, they didn't make it in. This became in a process led by the Holy Spirit, governed by the church fathers, became the words of God. But in that process, I, I just, you know, we, we, there's a whole lot of intellectual study. And so we could go down that road and we could just go way down that road today and, and dig down in there forever. And some of you would love that. Uh, we could go down the other road, which I think is the easier road of saying, oh, let's just skip over that because it's been in there for a long time. And that's good. That's good for me. That's good for you. But that's not good for your coworker. So your coworker is not comfortable with that. 
Your coworker is going to go, hey, I got that Bible you left for me, and I was reading after John chapter 7, and it said the next story is not really in the old manuscripts. What does that mean? And you go, well, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't highlight that. I, I just looked right over that. I just went right past that. I didn't even notice that. It was like some kind of like peripheral text in there. There's a footnote, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just go, and they tell stories on Sunday, and I amen occasionally, and you know, I don't know. I don't know why that's in there, but your coworker is going to be going, hey, that's why I don't believe this. And you're going to go, I, well, good. It's great. Then let's just start at verse 12. <laughs> and I, I just wanted to touch on it. You're like, well, can you solve it in a, in a, in a, in a really fast way? I really can't. But I can say a couple things to you that I want you to, to really latch on to today. The manuscripts of Scripture, we don't have any of them. The Gospel of John is not sitting in a museum somewhere. It does not exist anymore. The manuscript that John wrote, which he did write, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, was written in a manuscript form. It is, boom, right there. It, that does not exist anymore. Nor does the manuscript of Matthew in its fullness exist the original one that he wrote, nor the Psalms, the ones that David scratched out on some sheepskin, don't have them. Now, we have some incredibly early manuscripts, and we have fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which when you see them, your heart starts beating hard, because these, these documents are so close to the originals that it just freaks you out. And some of them date back into antiquity, and you, you start feeling the humanity of this process. But if somebody, if you just thought somewhere, there's a gospel of John somewhere, and some guy just took it and did a little punch the button and put a translation program on it, we don't have that. And so what's happened over history is that manuscripts have been copied, they've been copied, they've been copied, pieces of them have survived, those pieces have been pieced back together and a process has happened, a really careful, spirit-led process has happened where the Gospels, if you will, have been reconstructed. And in the reconstruction process of all the people who are, are incredibly smart people who study the ancient manuscripts, most of them do not believe this story was in the original Gospels of John. They don't believe that that's where it fits. Uh, they don't see place in, in, in the in the. Uh, the parameters of the actual documents for it to fit. And stylistically, a lot of people think it feels more like Luke wrote it than like John wrote it. And you're like, well, how did it get in there? It got in there, the short story, is that over a period of time, as the church fathers were putting Scripture together, this story found a place back in the Gospels. It, it could have been left behind for a couple of different reasons. But I believe, uh, and I think many, many people believe, that this is actually a narrative account of the life of Jesus. I believe it actually is an eyewitness account of something that happened in the life of Jesus. And I believe that it is part of the Word of God. I can't argue that it was an original part of John's Gospel, but I believe it was a narrative written by an eyewitness account that his scripture was pieced back together, was put back in this story under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The reason that why, why we have it, if you just want to know, is that 
through centuries, it became codified, as you, if, if you will, as part of Scripture, the Vulgate, the Latin Vulgate, which became sort of the first translation of New Testament this story was in there. The Catholic Church takes the Latin Vulgate as Scripture, and so from that moment on, this story happened. Some of the church fathers, Augustine, Jerome, Ambrose, some of the great church fathers believe that this story is narrative account and actually part of the Word of God. The King James translation, you know, everybody makes fun of it. It's actually a very good translation. And when, I mean, not with all the we's and thou's and therefore's and whereunto's, but the actual translation of the King James is a very good translation. And when King James was translated, this story made it into the King James translation, and it has been a part of our story. And so I, I just want to say I have confidence in that. And you're like, well, I didn't even know there were such little footnotes in the Bible. Well, listen, here's the big picture that you need to say back to your coworker is, hey, you know, a lot of people don't believe that John actually wrote this, but there's overwhelming evidence of the church fathers that this was an eyewitness account of Jesus and was part of the teachings of Jesus. The second thing that you need to say to your, your coworker and to yourself is this, that this word, and I just want you to know this, we'll do a series on this at some point. This is the most overwhelming, the most overwhelmingly accurate text of all the texts in the world. There is more overwhelming material for Scripture than any other ancient text in history. Your professor at school who told you you can't trust this book, but who reads the Iliad and the Odyssey, the evidence in the manuscript support for this book blows the Iliad and the Odyssey off to another planet. The Iliad and the Odyssey, and it's not to say the Iliad and the Odyssey isn't, isn't true. It's not to say it's not true and it's not true literature. It, it, it is. I believe it. But they might have like a, a dozen fragments of manuscripts that they put together because they don't have the original copy of that either. We're talking about hundreds, thousands of copies of manuscripts, tons of material to be pieced together by these church fathers. So much overwhelming material, far more than anything else that's out there in antiquity, the Word of God, hands down. It has overwhelming unity. There are, there are no comparable books who have been written, which have been written over centuries by shepherds and by kings and by prophets and by doctors and by all manner of people from different walks of life through different ages, looking through different lenses, and they all wrote. And when it's put together by the Spirit of God, it's one seamless, unified story. This is an overwhelming reason to have confidence in this book, and it has overwhelming clarity, and that's what I love about it. This passage, let's just say on the downside, let's say somebody came and said, I'll prove to you that the first 11 verses were not in the original gospel of John, and therefore they should not be in the Bible. I say, look, the first 11 verses in the gospel of John do nothing to take away from the clarity of the message of this book. In fact, the reason I love this story and believe it is part of the narrative account of the life of Jesus is because it absolutely amplifies the message and the clarity of who Jesus is. If they put 11 verses in that said, yeah, and Jesus had uh, eight sisters that you don't know about, and one of them had two heads, and she was the two-headed God of life and power, and uh, she fell down off the planet Jupiter on the third day of March, and she's to be worshiped and adored. If that was in the first 11 verses, you'd be like, whoa, this is problematic. But the story actually amplifies words of Jesus himself that are six verses down from the very story 
which may be why when they picked up this story and said, hey, this story, this narrative that is actually an eyewitness account of Jesus should be in Scripture, let's put it here, maybe that's a good reason why. So I just want you to have confidence today, but I didn't want to blow by that. Is that okay with you guys that I didn't blow by that today? And if you want to research, if you want to research, and if you're into that kind of thing, just go home and Google. That's all you got to do. Isn't that nice? You don't have to buy any books or go to the Christian bookstore. Although if you want to, you can do that too. But you don't have to, you just Google why uh, isn't the first part of John considered to be part of the original manuscripts, and bam, you'll have about 18 pages worth of stuff that you can dig down as technical as you want to go. I read about 10 of them, and you can just dig as far as you want to go and studying that for yourself and sorting that out for yourself, but I just wanted to make sure we're all on board with that today, and then coming back around to Jesus' teaching in verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my teaching or abide in my word, you'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I got to fast forward pretty quickly today because that was a little bit longer footnote than I wanted. But I'm glad we did that. I, I grew up church my whole life, and, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of these things. And then all of a sudden you get somewhere and you're like, wow, okay, I need to learn more. I need to dig more. And we all do because there's nothing to be ashamed of in this Word of God. I, you put it up against anybody. I love it when people come and start saying things like, well, the Bible's unreliable. And you're like, that's funny. That's really awesome. Why don't you just start telling me about how you came to that conclusion? And then what do you think is reliable then? And they'll say, well, I think this is reliable. It's just, it's just such uh, an easy thing to put our confidence in the power of this and just forget about the fact that when you open it and read it, the Holy Spirit blows your heart open. And the power of the living God and the living Word is undeniable. But I just want to zero in on one thought this morning, and I'll, I'll come around this. Why is it important that you abide in God's word and thus become a disciple. You see what the end result of Jesus was, by the way? It was that you would become a disciple. The end result of Jesus wasn't that you would know knowledge. He didn't say, if you abide in my word, you'll become really smart and maybe you can become a Sunday school teacher one day. He said, if you abide in my word, you'll be one of my disciples. My disciples are people who have camped down in my truth. And if there's one thing I want to make sure we don't miss at Passion City Church is that we somehow skip over the necessity in Jesus' thinking of rooting our lives in His Word and in Him and in truth so that the Word can do its thing on us and shape us into a disciple of Jesus. If you can't tell me, you can't tell your neighbor, if you can't tell your son or wife over lunch today just this fast, here's the passage of scripture that's been wrecking me this week, then you are not a disciple of Jesus this week. If you can't tell your coworker over lunch tomorrow, man, this is the verse that's cleaning my clock. This is the verse that's lifting me up. This verse just blew my mind. This verse has given me so much hope. This verse is the reason why we made that decision. This verse has showed me how Jesus fits into this decision that I'm making. If you can't do that, not about seven months ago or eight years ago, if you can't do that this week, then, and I can't do it this week, then I wasn't a disciple of Jesus this week. I might have been a member of a church, I might have come to an event, I might have sat on a row, but I am not a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, if you camp out in my word, if you hang on to my word, then, then you are my disciple. 
This is the doorway to being a disciple. And I want to make sure that we raise up followers of Jesus and not attenders of gatherings. I want to make sure that we raise up men, women, children, students who are followers of Christ, not followers of preachers, not followers of teachers, not followers of authors, but followers of Jesus Christ who get excited about what Jesus said, whose big news isn't, I heard so-and-so's podcast, or I went to so-and-so's church, or so-and-so is such a great speaker, or I'm reading so-and-so's book. Congratulations. That's fantastic. I love it. I hope you'll get Matt Redmond and I's my new book, and I hope you'll read it. But I hope you won't walk away going, wow, I read Louie and Matt's book. I hope you'll walk away with what Matt and I hoped when we poured our hearts into the Spirit of God in it, that you'll walk away and go, God spoke to me. Christ met me. The Word of God took hold of me through the pages because that's what we were praying for. And without that, there is nothing. And we're living in a consumer-oriented, person-driven church. And I just want to make sure we don't miss the simple verse of Jesus today. I want you to abide in the words, he said, that I speak to you. And I want you to abide in me because I am the word. See chapter 1. And I want you to become a disciple, a follower of me. I don't want there to be any mistake. He said, and, and that's not about me. That's about you. Because when you do that, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's really important because he called it what it was a few verses later in verse 44. He said, you belong to your father, the devil. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the devil. Chapter 8, there he is, boom. Not your enemy, not your adversary, not the dark force, not the other side, not, you know, my bad self on my bad day, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. And here he's going to describe the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He came into the story doing what? Taking the life of Adam and Eve. Boom. Entering the story. Hey, guys. Oh, God said if you eat of the fruit, you'll die. You won't die. Come on. He just knows you'll be as good as him if you eat the fruit. Hey, come on. Take it. Try it. Bam. They do. And guess what? They died. And his deception killed him. And Jesus was there, and he remembered it all, and he said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and there is no truth in him. And when he lies, you know, the devil does lie. Did you know that? He is a good liar, too. And when he lies, look what it says. He speaks his native language. For he is a liar, (laughs) I love it, and the father of all lies. I mean, come on. I think people just glaze over that. I love it. I'd love to have been standing there. Jesus, I'm telling you, he's a human man. He's in God in the body. His blood pressure is up at this point. He has got tone in his voice. He does not have the holy voice of James Earl Jones on, on right here. He has got some energy, and he's saying, hey, you're from your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. From the beginning, that's what he's been doing. And when he lies, he's speaking his native language. His first language is lying. He may learn how to speak some of yours, 
But his first language, lying. And he was lying from the very beginning. He is a liar. And he's the father of all lies. And you can just stop right there and go, uh-oh. Okay, I'm then either going to be governed by abiding truth, which leads to freedom, or I'm going to be wiped out by a murderer whose lies lead to death. And everybody's hanging in the balance today of those two voices. It's not a third voice in the chapter. It's those two voices in the chapter today. And every one of us has got freedom hanging in the balance. Has anybody got any keys with you today? Anybody got any keys? If you have some keys, could you take them out? I know I might have to dig down in your purse or gentlemen reach in your pocket. If you've got any keys, could you take them out? How many of you have one of those um, jumbo assortments of keys? Could you just hold them up? Thank you. Isn't that awesome? You don't even know what some of those keys go to. Is, how many of you don't know what some of those keys go to? You're like, I got keys on here that I think went to my roommate's apartment back when I was watering their plants, you know? How many of you think you have a key that will open this lock? No, I like the confidence, man. That's pretty awesome. Come on. Come on. Let's bring them up. Come on. Do you think so? Let's bring them. No? Mom says no. I th you're confident, though. I think you need to get mom's keys and bring them up. Come on. Let's try it. Come on. Let's just give it a shot. Come on up. You can leave your phone down there. No, I want you to come up. You can leave your phone over there and just bring you and the keys. Come. That's awesome. No, come on up. You can come anyway. Why don't you just come right over that? You're a young man. Isn't that awesome? How you doing? What's your name? Andrew. Andrew. That's awesome. You think you might can work this thing for us? Now, what in the world is that key right there? I don't know. That is crazy. That's hers. That's hers. Okay. <laughs> it says, let's focus on me. Who is that? My husband is that your mom? Yep. Okay, good. Are you praying for your mom every day? And then we've got a, like a psychedelic key with flip-flops on it right here. That's pretty cool. You want to try that one? Give it a whirl. No, that's not working. Okay, what else you got? Oh, that looks good. That looks like one of those uh, Walmart keys that don't work very good. Let's try that one. Maybe it goes the other way. Maybe you need to push harder. No, it's not going. Okay, what else you got? What kind of car do y'all have? Y'all have a, uh, some kind of Toyota. That's awesome. Let's see if we can set the alarm off. Let's just, you think it'll work from here? You think it would from here? Let's try it. You want to? Sure. There's a parking team out there. They'll be freaking out. They won't know what's going on. Let's just open the doors and then get the flash and then let's lock them back. That's cool. We didn't really do that. Okay, that, that's it. That's all you got. Wow. You guys, and you got this little thing. That's not going to help. And you got Passion Kids check-in on the little fob uh, kind of barcode. That's cool. Yeah, I don't know what any of that is. And just uh, ask your mom about that, okay, when you, when, you get, when you get home, okay? That was a good try. You had uh, two keys and then that one big pink thing that's all about me. And, um, but thanks for trying. I appreciate it. You guys give Andrew a hand. He gave it a shot. You can just jump down right there if you want to. <laughs> 
Mom's trying to tell us there's a story to the pink key. There's a, it's a big story behind that, and I know there is. Um, anybody else want to take a shot at it? You're like, no. No, we don't, we don't have. There, there's only one key that can open this, and I have it. That's why it's called a lock. See, if your keys could open it, I wouldn't have bought it. If it said on the package, hey, put this on your warehouse or put this on your boat or put this on your garage door and anybody in America with a key will be able to come and open it. $9.99. I'd have been like, no, it's not looking for that one. See, there's only one key. I mean, you can make copies, but I wouldn't recommend that. Um, and when you put it in, Andrew, it, it goes in which is your first clue. And when you turn it, it unlocks the lock. Isn't that cool? You're like, boy, Louie, you are easily entertained. I like you. <laughs> I like that. I know what I'm getting Louie for Christmas, you know, just a very simple box, you know, and he can sit at home and play with it. And then once it's open, then... You're free. If you close it, it's locked. I saw a commercial where they shot a rifle through it. It's still locked. And there might be a thousand people on earth telling you, I can help you. But they can't. There's just one key. And it goes in. And it unlocks the lock. And Jesus is trying to say something here, isn't he? He's trying to say that this is not just a book. But this is truth. This is his word. And that his word sets you free. And nothing else will. The good intentions of your best friend giving you all their advice is not as good as that key right there. Reading your horoscope and hoping maybe it worked out today? Uh Uh-uh. Feeling like there's some other path that you can be on? No. He said, this, this is it. And then he lifts up in this chapter. Look at some of the lies he lifts up. I just, I'm going to touch on them. I won't even go and read the, the, the passages, but it's full of them. It's full of some of the ones you're wrestling with today. Uh, number one lie in this, in this passage, he says in, the, in verse 12, I am the light of the world. You know that there's a whole world. Man, this just breaks my heart. But you know there's a whole world that's locked in, uh, in a destiny without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus? whole world. A whole world. And a lot of people think, well, that's okay because Jesus is for you, but not for everybody. And he said, no, I I am the light of the world. I get a little, uh, I follow on Twitter, Joshua Project. And every day about midnight, 12.01, I get a tweet from the Joshua Project to pray for an unreached people group in the world. And this morning, 
1201, the Kwai Kai people of Iran. They're nomadic. There are 1.75 million of them. They live just across the Arabian Sea from Saudi Arabia in the southern part of Iran. 1.75 million of these nomadic people. And it tells you all the little stats of them, who they are, what they're about, where they live, what their history is. And then it tells you some of the things that are going on. And it gives you a little checklist. Jesus film in the Kwai K language of the Kwai Kai people? No. New Testament portions? No. Any scripture? No. Translation project underway? No. No truth. No word. No. 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 1.75 million Kwai Kai people. And for them, there is a key that will open the lock. And his name is Jesus. The second lie, it's right in the midst of this, is that Jesus is all about condemnation. Story, first 11 verses, and he comes down in verse 15 to say, I didn't come here to judge you. Oh, he's not saying there isn't judgment. He's just saying the Father's going to do that. He's saying, I didn't come here to do that. There's a lie all over this town. There's a lie all over this world that says if you come to Jesus, it's going to be all about condemnation. And the truth of the matter is Jesus said, no, if you come to me, it's going to be all about freedom. It's going to be about life. They threw a woman down in front of me, caught in sin. And I said, you know what, woman? I'm here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you, go and sin no more. There's a third lie, and that third lie is that there's life in the darkness. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there's a lie going on in Atlanta, Georgia today that says there's life in the darkness. Have you ever noticed where a bunch of the bad stuff that happens in life happens in dark places? That's for a reason. And there is no life in dark places. There is no life in clubs where it's a dark vibe. There's no life in the little corner of the, of the alley where you go to make your transaction or to get your fix. There's no life there. That's why it's not out in the, in the noonday light. And some of you are believing a lie today that somewhere in some darkness, some dark habit or some dark place or some dark wherever that there's life in there. There is no life in there. It's a lie. And that lie is broken by the truth of who Jesus is. You can keep trying, but it's not going to work. There's another lie that says uh, sin makes us bad. And Jesus comes a few verses down in verse 23. And he says, no, sin makes you dead. And if you die in your sin, apart from me, you will die. It's not about being good or bad. It's not about being better than somebody else. It's not about a, a, a sliding gradual scale of who's better than who, or I'm not that bad of a person, or I'm not really that awful. Jesus said, it's not about that. He said, if you don't have me and you die without me, you will die in your sins. The truth that unlocks that is the life of Jesus. Another lie that's in this text is that our life is our own to do with as we please. Jesus said, I didn't come from here. He said, I am not my own. I do nothing, he says in verse 28, on my own. I speak what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, and I always do what pleases him. There's a lie that floats through the world. You can go to church, and you can have a Bible, and you can believe in God, and then you can just do whatever you want to. That is a lie. You cannot do that. There is only one way to live, and it is a missional lifestyle of saying my life belongs to God 
I do what I hear him say. I please him in everything I do. My life's purpose is to honor the one who sent me last week. A few verses down. I'm just going to tell you a couple more of these. There's a lie that says church membership makes you a Christian, and Jesus says it does not. We read it, verse 31 and verse 32. Disciples come from abiding in him. It doesn't matter if you're a Presbyterian. Who cares? Well, our family's Catholic. So what? Well, I was raised a Baptist. Big deal. Well, we go to Passion City Church. Yep. Okay. So what else? Well, isn't that good? Yes, that is good, could be good, depending on if that church is alive, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, full of the person of Christ. But church membership doesn't make you a Christian. Abiding in the Word makes you a disciple, and that's what Jesus is looking for. Another lie down the road says family ties are good enough. They said, we're Abraham's children. And some of you believe that. Some of you are using that. Well, my grandfather was a great minister of God. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, he was. How about you? Well, I'm his grandson. Well, my parents were faithful members of Happy Days Baptist Church and Holiness and Congregation, Missional Fellowship in God. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, our family has always been a lifelong member of blah, blah, blah. Well, I have a missionary in our family. Well, great. They were Abraham's children. And Jesus said, so? You're slaves of sin. It's not about what family you came from. This is about humanity. And your, your problem is a sin problem. And I am the key that unlocks and brings freedom to that. Down at the bottom, we talked about it. Any conversation with the devil can lead to anything good. Lie. If you're talking to the devil, it is not going to end good Ever. Ever, 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 never, never, never. So if you're talking to the devil, you just need to stop talking to the devil. You need to say to the devil, I'm going to have to stop talking to you now because you talk lie, and, and that's your, there's your first language, and I'm going to have to stop talking to you because somehow I believe that if I keep talking to you, somehow maybe some good can come out of talking to you. No good comes out of talking to him. None. Zero. Nada. Zilch. Two more of these. I just want you to see, this is some of the other series we could have preached. Verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. It's a lie that says, I'm just going to try to make the most out of myself. No, that's nowhere, man. Because whatever you can make out of yourself is nothing at the end of the day. Oh, it could be something on earth, but at the end of the day, it's nothing. Jesus said, let God glorify you. Let God lift you up. Let God be the one who raises you up. And then that glory will be everlasting glory. And then lastly... um, just the lie that some things are impossible. Uh, some things are impossible, Louis. It's a lie. You know, how, how do you know it's a lie? Uh, they're, they're impossible. I mean, you can't go back. You can't undo it. You can't, you know, it's just the way it is. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. I love that. You know how you can say that? Before your pain came, he is. Before your heart was broken, he is. Before it all went wrong, he is. Before all the water went under the bridge, he is. Before the house burned down, 
he is before all that. And you can go to the one who was before all things and before all the things in your life, and he can take your life and mend, restore, and put your life back together and do beautiful, amazing, God-glorifying, supernatural stuff in you. He can put back together what has been shattered. He can put back together what has been torn. He can put back together what has been lost because he's God and nothing slows him down. He doesn't show up and go, oh, I'm too late. I'm so sorry. If I had only gotten here sooner, I could have healed your heart. No, he says, hey, before all that happened, I am. I am before all that. I am God before all that. So I'm still God. I still have power. I still am able to save. I still am able to rescue. I'm able to restore. I'm able to put you back together again. I'm God. So don't ever think it's all done. You say, well, it's just finished, Louis. No, it is not. Because I am was there before. And I am is here now. And I am is God And I am isn't limited by time and space and circumstances. I am can do miracles, and he does miracles, and he is a miracle working God. I'll just close with this. You know, I was uh, at the airport the other day, and I saw these people. And um, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but people don't like people anymore. Have you noticed that? There used to be a time when people liked people, and then all the northerners moved down to Atlanta, and no one likes each other anymore. (laughs) what (laughs) who knows what I'm talking about which northerners are here today could you just raise your hands the the lady yes right here let's make it about me (laughs) we're gonna have a special invitation today and I know who's coming down I'm only you know I'm only kidding you do know that don't you um, not about the northerners, but about you. Um, <laughs> but, but at the airport, everybody was... Have you seen this? Have you noticed people on the train on MARTA? Have you noticed people walking to class on your campus? Man, I got... Uh, Seven minutes to get to class. Ooh, I'm going to get my Beats by Dr. Dre on. Because I can't make it seven minutes listening to the wind blowing through the leaves. You see, you know, the saints are in town. I'm sure when they got off their bus walking into the Georgia Dome. It's a whole world. Like, I can't wait to get, I mean, kids get home from school, run in their room, close the door, and get the headphones on. And I think that's crazy. But on a spiritual note, as we close this morning, it could be really awesome. Because I think the step for me today, coming out of John 8 is, is I've got to block out Every voice, excuse me, including my own voice, because I am a complainer, and I'm a nagger, and I'm down on myself sometimes, and I'm critical of other people. 
I don't see the best in every situation sometimes. And if I start listening to me, I'm sunk. I got to tune me out. Excuse me, Louie. And I definitely got to tune you out sometimes. Not you. But you know what I'm saying? Those people around you. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, it's dark in there, but it's not going to be bad. Oh, come on, yeah. Well, no, here's what you should be thinking. Here's what you should be doing. Here's, what, here's why you're like you are. You know what? Excuse me. I'm going to need to tune you out just for a minute. And certainly to the enemy. Oh, don't you think God's going to use you? you? You're just a no good, nothing failure. And I got video evidence on you, brother. So just pipe down. You know what? I'm going to need to tune you out. Because um, you're speaking lying. You, you took the Rosetta, Rosetta Stone course on lying. You, you do Rosetta Stone lying. That's, you made those tapes. So I want to tune you out. Thank you. Appreciate your opinion. What would you say? I'm, I'm just condemned. Thank you very much for that. I'm tuning you out now. I'm tuning out everybody. I'm not saying people aren't important. But I'm telling you, wherever you plug that in is the most decision, most important decision you're going to make. I'll give it to you. I can't talk with those in. I'll give it to you that you can tune people out. Not like the world does in an antisocial way right now. But you go ahead and tune people out. But I'm telling you, that, I'm telling you this morning, wherever you plug that in, it's the most important decision you make. And if you plug it into Kanye, okay, go ahead. I just, uh, I'm having a hard time today, so I just got to get my XYZ music fix. Okay. But there's potential that you plug that into him. And you start mainlining the words of Jesus. You know what will happen? That. It will set you free. Be hard to know how many people are all bound up today, wouldn't it? How many people in the house are all bound up? And how close Jesus is. He's just saying, why don't you just, just listen. Just listen to my voice. Listen to my word. Camp out in my truth. And let that truth rise up. Anywhere, anytime, any circumstance, stop and listen. Say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Holy Spirit, bring the words of Jesus to me. Holy Spirit, bring the truth of Jesus to me. Holy Spirit, let the word of Jesus abide in me. I got eight opinions. 
but I want the word of Jesus. I got two friends over here and another one over there, but I want the words of Jesus. I got a liar trying to rip my face off, but I want the words of Jesus. I don't want to just drown out all my pain with the loudest music I can blast into my head. I want to hear the words of Jesus. And I want his words to set me free.